All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am Jason here with Brian. As always, today, we're going to be talking about overcoming. And if there's something going on in your life right now where that might just apply a little bit, then uh, today's episode is going to be something you'll want to listen to. And if you're not facing anything right now that applies to this idea of needing to overcome something, then just hang on because you will. But before we get into our discussion uh, we're going to listen to a clip from Rocky. You might be familiar with this clip already. Um, if you're not, get ready. This is one of the one of the most powerful and impactful clips, motivational speeches that I've, I've ever heard, and it impacts me in a big way. So we're going to play that, and then we're going to have some discussion on it. So here we go. So you nervous about the fight? They're scared to death. You don't look scared? Well, you ain't supposed to. Then you don't have to do it. Yeah, well, I think I do. You know, living with you, it hasn't been easy. People see me, but they think of you. Now with all this going on, this is gonna be worse than ever. It don't have to be. No, sure it does. Why, you got a lot going on, kid. Well, my last name? That's the reason I got a decent job. That's the reason why people deal with me in the first place. Now I start to get a little ahead. I start to get a little something for myself, and this happens. Now, I'm asking you as a favor not to go through with this, okay? This is only gonna end up bad for you, and it's gonna end up bad for me. You think I'm hurting you? Yeah, in a way you are. That's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I know that's not what you want to do, but that's just the way that it is. Don't you care what people think? Doesn't it bother you that, that people are making you out to be a joke and that I'm gonna be included in that? Do you think that's right? Do you? You ain't gonna believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching you. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. So after hearing that, Jason, what, what is your thoughts? What's, what stands out to you in that clip? And just for those listening, you might be saying, wait a second, this is a movie. This is, you know, it doesn't fit our life. No, I think this is probably the most relevant pieces of information that is probably one of the most applicable um, ideas and conversations that honestly, it's what we should have always had with our father. It's something that I is really critical. So in in as you were viewing that 
Jason, what kind of stood out to you in that, in that clip? The thing that catches me is, is how Rocky's son approaches him. Like, if you know the context of the movie, and if you, if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to go watch it because there's obviously context that leads up to this scene. But there's this fight that's coming up, and his son starts this conversation from an aspect of, I know you're doing what you think is right and what you need to do, but look at how it's impacting me negatively. Look at the problems it's creating for me. And not just this, but my whole life has been filled with these problems because of who you are. And the only things that I've gotten in my life are because of my last name. And so he's really, he's taking this stance of my value is taking a hit or is going to take a bigger hit because of you and what you're doing. And on one hand, you can kind of see it. Like you grow up as the son of this famous man your last name is going to get you recognition. It's going to get you indoors. It's going to do all these things. And if that's all you have to build your life on, then it's no wonder you end up an adult and you wonder, well, what am I? The only thing that I've gotten is because of what my dad's done and because of my last name. And it's really easy to become bitter at the one that gave you that name because of that. And I can't help but wonder how many people in our world today we see that are bitter and resentful and lashing out at the thing that provided for them. I think you can make a case either way on that, but it's always interesting to me that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't approach his father in this conversation as like on equal footing. It's, I'm a victim, and what you're doing is hurting me, and here's why, and let me lay it out for you. Even as you're saying that, you're describing that whole scenario... It's it's so, it's really a generation that's currently around today. Like, you know, many people, um, it doesn't matter what's, I think the reality of this, it doesn't matter what position you were born into. You could either look at it as I had no opportunities and everything was stacked against me. Or then there's those that had opportunities and you had maybe family or whatever that tried to pave the way for you to get somewhere but you never found yourself in that. And so it's interesting how it can go either way. Like if you never discover who you really are in the midst of any of the scenarios of whatever you were born into and wherever you were born, you'll never really, you'll always look to something else to blame because you depended on either the negative side or the positive side to carry you through life. And then when you realize you have to stand on your own two feet, you don't know where you are. That's, that's one of the big pictures that I, I thought was really profound about that. You th- I think I look at that in, as it relates to us today, 2020. And it's kind of interesting as I'm thinking about that, you can have someone who was born into the lap of luxury And they can legitimately say to another person, you have no idea what I had to go through growing up. You don't know what it's like to grow up in the shadow of this person and have all of these pressures on you from your birth. But then you can also have a person that was born with nothing into a family that had nothing. And they can also say, you didn't have to go through what I went through. I had nothing to build on. So anything I got... I had to work and save and eke through life to just get a little bit. And you were handed everything to you. And it is interesting that you say it. 
both perspectives are actually the same thing. It's this idea of, you don't know what I've gone through. I've had it more difficult than you can imagine. And so you're, I'm almost invalidating whatever you're bringing towards me because I'm in this position and it's not my fault that I'm here. It's someone else's fault. It's a different situation resulting in why I'm here. And so look at, look at my status as being low. And it's interesting to me that it applies in... Like you can have that perspective no matter what your upbringing was. And then we can have people fighting with each other because they were from different upbringings, but they're approaching it from the same perspective. So you're actually fighting the same thing. You're using the same tactics, even though you're, you're on two completely different sides, but you're saying the same thing. Yeah, even how you're, you're shaping that. If we break that down just a little bit, people are, people are still listening going, no, they had it so much better. Okay, we have to define what is so much better. And I think this is really the big, the big onion peel, the big peeling off and getting into the core of something. We make it believe that if we have a bunch of things, then we can. Or if our environment was different, then we can. Or if the outside was different, then we can. Or if I looked a certain way, then I could. And we have shaped all of this external narrative, and we can go down to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we, and there's all these scripture verses, but I'm just wondering if deep down we're still looking at it that way. Like, you know, Jesus, if you would have just done it differently, wouldn't we just be in a better place? And isn't that some of the times the disciples had that same conversation? No, don't do it like this. You're going to make, you're, we, just, we gave up everything and now you're just going to go and die? That doesn't make any sense. Like we, we have... We have in our narrative oftentimes created that same thing even in what we believe. But stepping back just into humanity, just into the reality of where people are at. Have you ever said to yourself, I would really like to go do this, but I can't because, and there's some external element. I'm not referring to something bad or your you're growing up and your parents saying, no, you don't get to go play in the highway. I'm just talking about just general things that you really believe you should want to do or your heart's wanting to, you, you want to go and accomplish something, but you have all the reasons why you cannot do it. I just want you to ponder that for a moment because I think that is really at the stem of this. And then when Rocky said to his son, if you know what you're worth, Go out and get what you're worth. And I, I want to focus on that a little bit. So what does it look like for someone to actually go out and get what they're worth? Where does a person even start with that? Because we've we've talked about our, our pillars of identity, strength, courage, and influence. But where where does that come into play when you're faced with this thing of you need to go out and get it? Because it's not a works value system, not a works righteousness system, but it's also not a passive system where you're just supposed to kind of just take whatever comes your way. There's an active aspect to it. And I think that's part of the part of what's trying to be communicated in the clip here is you've spent your life taking what comes your way because of where you are, because of what your name is, because of the environment you find yourself around in. But there's a very real aspect, I feel, where it's not a it's, it's not a life to do that. 
life is going out and and taking it in a sense. But to say that to a lot of people in the church, it sounds like a like a very worldly mindset. So what's what's the reality for us in that? Maybe if we could peel it down in the context of even the even in the movie, what you're worth is what you what you deem your internal value and where you get your values. And one thing that the son wasn't really grabbing hold of is his father loved and valued him. And no matter what he did, he was going to be loved. But I thought it was very interesting. There's also a point, if you don't take what you are and go do something with it, you're never going to see that on the inside of you. And so back to your question, how do we do that where that's not works or where you're not being arrogant and uh, you're just walking in pride or whatever the term has been thrown out or you're just walking in privilege or any of those things? Uh, None of those tie into this idea. Um, Jesus said the same thing. In uh, Revelation 3.21, Jesus makes a statement. To the one who is victorious or overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So what are you saying, Brian, that if I'm not victorious and overcome, then I can't sit with him, that I'm no longer a son? No, it didn't say that you wouldn't be a son. But I think you're missing something of what's been given to you, and I think that's the bigger piece that... that we miss what we what we actually are. We look at what we are not. I mean, how much time do we spend on focusing what we are not? And I, I liked when Rocky says, no one is going to hit as hard as life. And it will beat you to your knees if you let it. It's not how hard you are hit, but it's how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And I, I thought that is a much better, bigger picture. So when you're talking about what you're worth, what is your inner core? What can you take? What can you move forward with? And isn't this is what we really are trying to accomplish when we're raising kids? And you've said this before, Jason, that we often want to remove every obstacle from our kids' lives so they can freely move forward. But at some point, they have to learn to deal with the obstacles. So at some point, you almost have to bring the obstacles in so they can learn to face those obstacles. So they stop the blame game because it. what happens is it brings this everything back to, it sits on you and you alone for those decisions about your future. So let's put it into a, a, a grander perspective of going after what you're worth. What if nothing in our world changes? What if it gets worse? What if Every good thing that people are fighting for, for liberty, doesn't change. What if it gets worse? Now what are you going to do? We can't say to God, well, I just didn't do anything because you don't realize how hard it was. And by the way, by definition of not doing anything, it doesn't necessarily mean an outward act. It's not, what you do is not defined by a world standard. But it's who you are and a mindset and a continuing to move forward that you have to you have to allow to grow within yourself that you are the overcomer because then you could solve problems. 
You can look at solutions. You can see paths that no one else had saw. You could see angles. You can see uh, weaknesses in the enemy's tactics coming against you. Once you believe that you are of value. And the fact that things are coming against you should be the aha moment. Oh, I must really be valuable. Otherwise, it wouldn't be coming against me. So I, I think there's more things that need to be pondered in this that it's things that Jesus was saying. So we could even just look at Jesus' life and break that all down. But Jesus lived this way. And I, I really think in the wilderness, that was something that that really took place in the heart of Jesus on some level. And I don't want to diminish what God spoke to Jesus and who he is, but I think he did have a little bit of father-son conversation of, this is who you are. This is the value you have to me. But you're going to have to see that value so you can offer it to people because you can't be humble. You can't serve. You can't offer yourself. You can't love unless you are. So the again, the idea of being humble, it is not possible to be humble if you're not in a position that you have to humble yourself. Otherwise, you're always striving up. But maybe we could tackle that a little bit more. Those can be really general statements, and they can always be misread as a Twitter post, but maybe we can just kind of break down some examples and talk through some areas in life that we had to do that. I'm glad we started with that mindset and that perspective, though, because it, it reminded me of another story I heard. It's not, um, it's not my story, um, but I was listening to someone speak, and he was a a uh, he was in a Marine sniper unit. He was overseas doing um, doing some kind of work. I don't know exactly what it was, but there was a guy in his unit that one morning, as they're having breakfast, they've got the news on, and there's there's some news about things that are going through um, through government bills that are considering being passed, how that's going to affect things here and there. And there's a couple guys that are having this discussion about it, and they're saying, you know, what what's going to happen? What are we going to do if this goes through? What's How is it going to affect us if this doesn't go through? And all these things, and they're getting into this intense discussion about it. And across the table, there's this other guy who's just eating his cereal and is completely disengaged. And one of the guys tries to bring him into the conversation and says, well, what do you think about this? And he looks up at them and says, I don't care. And so the guy presses him like, no, I really want to know what you think about this is important stuff. This could affect our lives. And he, he looks up at him and he says, do you really want to know? I don't care what they do because they're a bunch of people that are trying to run other lives. They don't affect me because I'm a winner and winners win. So no matter what they do, no matter what kind of obstacle they try to put in my path, I'm going to find a way to win because that's just what I am. And then he just goes back to eating his cereal and, and, and that's it. And I thought that was so profound because it is, and I've been in this trap myself, how easy, especially right now. I mean, if we're being honest, anyone who's looking at the news lately for more than five minutes, if you're looking at this stuff, you have legitimate reason to be worried if you listen to that. There are things that could drastically change. And it's easy to get caught in this, this feeling of, if this happens, what if this happens? That could negatively affect me. There was a friend of mine who was talking about we could see Christians put in concentration camps in our lifetime here, and all these all these things that could possibly happen. And I just I I keep going back to that example of, yeah, the world is gonna be crazy. 
And spoiler alert, there's going to be opposition against you as a person in a spiritual sense, in a natural sense. And it's one thing to be aware of that, but how many times do we get stuck in this mindset of, well, I can't do this because of this thing that someone else did. And that's one of the things that always hits me about this Rocky clip, is he comes to this point where he says, you're you're always worried about what you can't do because of what this person said or what this person did. Cowards do that. And that's not you. You're something better than that. And it's a difficult thing to hear when you find yourself in that mindset of, well, what if? I need to be prepared for if they do this and if this happens in the government or if this happens in my city. But at the end of the day, we spend all of our time worrying about that and so little of our time thinking, who am I and what's on my heart to do? And I'm going to go. And if something gets in my way, I'll overcome it because I'm not a coward, because I'm an overcomer. That's what's been put in me. And I think on one hand, in this clip, Rocky's giving him a bit of a, a, a rude awakening to who he is. Like you, And he doesn't really say it this way, but you, you come from my bloodline. You're my son. You're not a coward. That's not in you. You shouldn't live like that because that's not a life at all. You'll exist, but you're not going to have a life in it. Oh, I agree. And I, I think the even that, that part of the cowardly, I, I really think that the description that he used to talk about the coward was probably the most profound because victims are cowardly. So let's don't look at it like, you're being accused, you coward, like in an insult. Just let's look at the word cowardly. Um, we could see that even in the cowardly lion of the Wizard of Oz, afraid of his own shadow. It wasn't so much that someone was accusing him of it. It was the reality is the environment around them was so fearful to them that they operated from that position. And man, I, I could just see this this element. The, and you've said this so many times before of rather than trying, like psychologists, they don't try to bring down the problem. Like don't try to make your problem go away. They make you braver than the problem that you can slowly start facing that problem and then you become stronger. But here's what's amazing. Once you actually face a problem, let's say it starts as a wound and then you face the problem and you have that scar, that scar is strong. Like it, it is, it's a mark of victory. It's almost a mark of bravery, but that thing doesn't really affect you anymore. It still lingers there. It can peek its head every once in a while, but it, if it comes again, you have this member, it's, I've dealt with that before. I've dealt with that before. I dealt with that before. Kind of like David, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. Who's this yeah. guy? Like we don't, we don't remember those little track records. So when we're talking about this idea of what you're worth, we don't take those little interpersonal things in our daily life of things that are maybe are in our control that we could do, like our attitudes or um, just developing a skill. And then we try to measure it. Well, I don't want to spend time on working that skill. How's that going to make me any money? That's a cowardly way of thinking. We don't realize it, but it is a cowardly way of thinking because I'm not sure the guy that was tinkering around with rocket fuel was thinking, hmm, how's this going to make me any money? Now, eventually, someone took that idea, and then they built it, and now we have rockets and all those pieces built. 
but he took time or she took time to build within themselves something that was creating that interest that they kept pursuing that eventually came out. But the point was they knew what they wanted to do and they, they were developing that. They were developing that inside. And I think we've, we've, we've created measurements in our world of what success looks like. We've created measurements in our world of what being victorious looks like inside. Um, most of the measurements are based on how do I make enough to take care of my family? And if I can't make enough to take care of my family, how do I get someone else to do it that will take care of my family? And if I still can't find that, how do I be victimized enough to blame everybody else for doing that? And then if they're not buying into it, I want to shame them for not taking care of me. Do you see that cycle? There's a cycle to it. I mean, think of a toddler in a home. You ask them to do something, they don't listen. And then you finally get a little bit harder on them. Then they blame their sister that their sister didn't have to go do that. And you favor your sister over me or you favor my brother over me. And you're doing it for them, but you're not doing it for me. When it's not true at all. You're just having to finally face something and own it. And you don't want to. You don't want to face your emotions and put your tears away for just a moment and just step through and do it. And when you find you do it, you actually are like, wow. I'll give you a great example. Um, and it's not a great example because I did it. It was just a great example for how it turned out because sometimes you don't know if it'll turn out that way. But several years ago, uh, about six years ago, my son started getting into liking video games. You know, he's younger. And then, then he started liking Minecraft. And pretty soon it went from, if you don't know Minecraft, it's kind of this, it's like a, it's like a, video a video Legoland so you're building things but then there's games that you could play and one day I came in the room and my son's just clicking on the mouse for like an hour and he's busy and he's focused and he can't talk or think and I'm like he was playing a game in there that was like a little capture the flag shooter game but you had a all these activity and mo motions but he wasn't thinking he was just doing the doing the process so I went into him I said okay the game's over he goes, but dad, I'm not done. I'm like, no, let's, let's have a talk. The game's over. And I said, here's the deal. I love computers too. I actually like games. But if you're only going to play those kind of mindless games, then you get 30 minutes a day to play the game. However, if you want to build the game and you want to learn how to build that, I don't care how long it takes. But you're not going to sit there and just mindlessly click some other thing that someone else built and that's your entertainment. So he said, okay. Well, and from that day, rather than playing them, he still likes playing them, but he started building. He started learning the coding. He started learning all the codes behind it. He learned the commands. That led into learning programming languages. That led into everything else. And so... He's getting ready to turn 14, and he just got into this big uh, international tournament of they give you an idea, and you have to build a video game around it for this competition. And it has a certain scope, and you have 48 hours. So at the age of 13, he has a friend who he met here in Thailand that now lives in London, who's a great graphics artist, and he's 13. So he did the graphics. My son did all the coding, and the, 
and the organizational skills they put together. Days before, they created a big org board. They created a, a, uh, uh, a to-do list and how to track who's doing what. And they assigned and they prepared how they were going to go about this game within 48 hours and how they were going to sleep and how are they going to work the time zones and how are they going to do all this stuff. And then they practiced coding modes and practiced uh, the, the art. This kid does great art. In fact, I'm going to post this, uh, his game at the bottom of this for a link to it just so you can see what he built. And I am bragging on my son, but it fits this protocol. As you should. So proud of him. I'm talking, he went through all the org steps to actually build something and then put it into a competition. So I sat down and played the game and I started getting lost in it. And it's like a seven minute game. And I'm like, this is so satisfying to play. The, the artwork is great. The, the gameplay is smooth. It's so creative. And they had to create the idea at the moment the 48 hours hit because you don't know what the game's supposed to be about. He came up to me yesterday and he said, hey, dad, thank you for not letting me play the clicky games and making me build because I so much more enjoy building than I enjoy playing. And it kind of ties into that. What was he worth? Well, he loved this idea, but he at first he was only looking at I have to, I can only do what someone else provides for me. I can only do what someone else provides for me. I can only do what someone else provides for me. So I need to buy a new game. I need to buy a new game. And he was losing who he was in the game, even though he liked him and I like him. But when he switched to having to create it, at first he didn't really like it, but he knew he couldn't play with the game unless he was building something. So he started growing in that and then he began developing a love for programming and to learn programming languages that you don't learn until your third and fourth year of college under your computer science degree and being able to fluently work with the programming language is amazing. And I'm like, how did you sit and learn that? And he goes, well, I wanted to create the game. So he was willing to endure the pain and the discomfort and there's no profitability in this. If he started going, well, how's that going to make me any money? Well, it probably won't, but now I can give him any other project and he can code it and he can understand how the computer thinks to bring forth that idea. Things are happening. And I, I just think this is a really a profound picture because something he enjoyed doing. If all I ever did was every time he had an idea, I would hire programmers. Let's say I had all the resources. I just hire programmers just to make his idea. Am I really helping him? Because the moment he doesn't have all those programmers, what's he going to say? Oh, my dad cut me off. Had my dad cut me off, I would have had the money for these programmers, and then they could have made that for me. So you're, you're to blame. And the only reason I have those programmers is because my dad provides them for me. So if someone else said, if David was showing them his game, they would have looked at him and said, well, you only got that because of the privilege of your parents. But I didn't create any of this. He had a labor at it. He had a broken down computer when he started that wasn't worth two bits and he made it work. And I'm, I'm like, David, we should probably get a new computer. And he's like, nah, I can make this work. He would not let his brain come up with reasons why he couldn't. And it was, a, it was remarkable watching him do this. And I have to say, he was doing it. It's every father's dream, but he was actually doing it. 
And all it was, was I made, I didn't make life harder. I made him look at it differently. When check this out in that story, I just realized this. What would have happened if at that, at that start, you didn't focus his, his actions or his desires in that way? If you wouldn't have said, you can do this, but you can't spend all day on just the mindless clicky games. Because essentially what you did was you focused his heart in a direction that you knew would be healthy and beneficial for him. Now picture that we have a world and a culture that for decades, if not generations, has given a message of follow your heart, but without a father figure to focus that heart in the right direction. And so we've got decades of the mindless clicky games because that's what our heart's passion was to do. And it's just gone down that road. And so a message of follow your heart led us to that, but there was no father figure to focus it in the right direction. And then chaos and then just mindlessness. But if there's a father that can focus that heart and that passion and that desire, now he's in a position of being an overcomer of whatever comes his way. Now there might be some there might be some complaining still, but at the end of the day, he's finding ways through issues and solving problems instead of just kind of clicking down this path of life and then being upset when something's in his way and deciding that he needs to tear it down and complaining that someone else put an obstacle up. He he climbs over obstacles, but I can't help but see a picture of of kind of our culture in that without the father figure present. Mm. That's a, that's a great observation. What would have happened if I would have gone to him and said, you're not allowed to play games, they warp your mind, and they just make you mindless, and they're addictive. So you need to go outside and play, and you, can, you have to go play soccer, because I love it. Well, guess what? He doesn't like soccer. He's physical. So rather than saying, putting a box of what I should do, you're gonna. You need to do something physical because you're not. You're not gonna just sit in a chair. So we found rock climbing, and we found that he just absolutely thrived in that. So, I think you're right. I I think many times we haven't understood someone's this heart passion, which is kind of n- not really. Uh, it's being applied from the wrong perspective. It's almost like Rocky's son. He's trying to find himself. But he's been so used to, A, trying to find himself, but at the beginning, he, he loved it that he could go in under his father's name. So he kind of, the thing he was passionate about going after was, was being done from a wrong position. Now, it wasn't wrong carrying his father's name, but he didn't know what his name was in the midst of that. And so in that journey... He's going down that, and now that his father's altering and that name is affecting him, or he thinks it will, now he's blaming his father because the surroundings are changing, versus if he knew what he was, he could alter and switch and adjust and pivot and could celebrate what his dad was trying to accomplish. Even if there was ramifications, because at the end of the day, it doesn't take away who he is. Do you think that is is kind of an underlying thinking for a lot of people where they're afraid that 
God as a father figure or as as God up in heaven that he's going to just take away the things that they love because they're not part of his perfect plan or for whatever reason. Do you think that holds people back from that relationship? And I kind of, it, it relates back to the clip again too, because if if the relationship between the son and the father in that clip is healthy and has been and has had engagement for their entire lives, then there's there should be less maybe insecurity on the part of the son where he sees what happens if there's, you know, backlash from what my dad's doing. If people are making fun of him, how does that reflect on me? And and so there's a disconnect there because he can't fully trust that what his father is doing is also going to lift him up or that there's not a way for him to connect to that because it's, it's, it's seen as I'm just in this big shadow. And so if the shadow moves or changes or something or does something, then that's going to affect me in ways that are probably going to be negative or at least uncertain. So who knows what's going to happen to me then? And there's all this uncertainty there, but if there's, if there's a confidence in that relationship of, I know my father wants to lift me up in who I am and who he's made me to be, the same way that I'm sure David understood that at the time. Now he was he was a kid then, so maybe he wasn't this, you know, perfect picture of yes, Father, whatever you say, for I know that you have great things in store for me. I'm sure I'm sure he didn't react that way, but I know I know the two of you enough to know that the relationship has been there. To he he's got to know, and even at that time, that you're not out to just wreck his life. You believe in him. And you want good things for him because you've shown that over and over and he's accepted that. And so, it, again, it might not be a perfect picture. I don't mean to say that you guys are going to be on the cover of Father Son Magazine, if that's a real thing, like, you know, in on a rock climbing wall with your arms around each other going, hey, buddy, we're perfect. So it's not it's not like that. There's real world things we deal with. But that relationship dynamic, I think, makes all the difference. Do you think that a lot of people kind of hesitate because of their their view of God in that regard? It is, and I can already I can already tell you people saying, "Well, I never had a father that did that. I never had this. I never had that." I guarantee, when David's older, he's going to say, "Man, I wish my dad would have done that with me. I wish my dad would have shown me that." I w-. there's there's always going to be something that you miss, and and the bigger reality is, I kind of look at myself as an as a natural father. My whole role is to somehow bring perspective to God as a father. And at the end of the day, only only God as a father, what Jesus demonstrated in his relationship and created a pathway into that relationship of a father-child, it's only he that knows the much bigger perspectives of all those nuances of our heart. All those nuances that even a natural father or a natural mother or a parent or a sibling or can fully understand. But once it can get bridged into some of the ideas and the concepts of, one, don't blame your surroundings. It doesn't mean you have to accept harm in your surroundings. It just means you make decisions in that. And they're going to be hard. You're going to have to let go of some aspects of your life. And you're going to have to accept new aspects of of life that you don't fully understand because you're going to feel insecure in those areas. This is always going to take place. If, If my son didn't have a father, 
but a mentor or someone that could believe in him could guide him into this, it would be powerful. But you think about the life of David, even in the Bible, of how God raised him. His brothers were not too happy with him, as we talked about. His own father didn't even invite him to the inauguration of one of his family members is going to be picked to be king. Yet David, in his life, you just go read everything, was not a victim. And you want to talk about horrible events? You're yep. kicked out of your family. You're hunted by the king. You have to go live with your enemy and fight with your enemy. Not against your enemy, alongside of him. You have to go and finally get the kingdom back. Then all of a sudden your kingdom gets divided and taken from you by your own children. So you have to give up your kingdom. And at the same time, David, his identity isn't tied to the application being done because he knew what he was worth. He was worth something to his father. So whatever his father, his heavenly father, God himself spoke about him, that was the only thing that mattered. So his, his, his depth was on that design. So it didn't matter what the world around him did. It mattered what God was doing in him. And eventually he sat on the throne and became one of the most famous kings and became of the initial kingdom that Jesus came forth to bring. I mean, these are profound things. Even if you don't even, if you do not even believe the Bible's real, you do have to say, how did this one character in history have such a pos have have a name that we still remember? Everyone still knows and uses the metaphor of David and Goliath, even if they don't believe the story's real. How did that take place? Just think about that profound moment. It wasn't because David did something great. It was David had confidence in himself and God and then dealt with the world around him from that perspective. And I think that that is at the essence of all this. And that is not cowardly. And that doesn't mean your circumstances change. And it doesn't mean you don't make dumb decisions in the middle of it that create worse problems for your surroundings. But at some point you have to come back, what am I worth? Am I worth something because society gives me a new label? Am I not worth something because society makes my label bad? Am I worse something if the economy radically changed? So is my worth based on what the economical value of who I am is? Or is my value based on something much bigger from a different kingdom? In context of all this, Jason, you've had experience raising your kids. You're, you're walking through the same stuff. You've pastored. You've been around the block. You've been on both sides of this. You have had every opportunity to be a victim, and you weren't. You chose to just deal with what you are and walk through it, and you've you've overcome being passive to being more confident. Uh, I don't even want to say more confident. You're very confident. You're assured of yourself. You can walk into a scenario. You can navigate really troubling conversations and bring some order to it. You've been around the block on this, and you've been said negative things about, you've been said positive things about, but you've never let that really drive what you're doing. And what, what, what do you think is some of the keys that you've picked up that have brought you to that place? I mean, I was just going to let you keep going for a while there. That's pretty, pretty nice of you to say. But I, on, a, on a serious note, I, I can remember personally for me, but also what I've seen in people that has made the biggest difference and was the biggest shift was on one hand, 
shifting away from a, you could call it a passive mindset. You could also call it a victim mindset, but what I called it at the time was a, a mindset of extreme faith. And there was some lines that were blurred and we can maybe go into this story another time. And it's, it's not to blame my upbringing or church or, uh, or anything like that, or my schooling, none of that's to blame, but there is a mindset of, I'm waiting for circumstances to change or waiting for God to do something. And as long as that was the mindset and the focus, things weren't the greatest. There was always a cycle of, um, of being stuck in a rut spiritually or uh, professionally, uh, relationally. There was always cycles and ruts that seemed to repeat themselves. And I could never really, never really had a, uh, to be honest, there was times where I found myself kind of in the position of Rocky's son here, where I could look back at things and say, you know what, I'm, I'm in this position because of this. I'm in this position because of this person and their failure to do this or their lack of faith in this area or their unwillingness to accept this is, is affecting me and why I'm here. And all that changed when when I realized that I am where I am because of my own decisions. And I can either continue the rest of my life waiting for someone else to fix a problem that they created, or I can start to approach things from, God is actually my father, he's with me, he's given me an identity, and what happens to me is the result of him and I, and nothing else. Because if I blame other people or other circumstances for the way things are, then I have to wait for them to fix it. And I have to wait for them to change before I can move on with my life. And you just get stuck and you never end up moving because shockingly, the circumstances always seem to have a problem with them. But but beyond that, I've seen, um, it, it kind of comes back to the, the origin story, I want to say. And this is another reason I love this clip, because that's what Rocky does in his response. He goes back to the beginning, this is what you are, goes through an identity walk, and you get to this point of, okay, all of this is your identity, who you are, you're my blood, and all these things, so now you're in this situation, now what do we do? Now what do you do, because you're in this situation? There have been a lot of people, I think I mentioned one in the last episode, that will run into something either in that they'll read in the Bible and really struggle with it. What do I do with this? What am I supposed to do with this situation? And I've, I've seen people stuck in that for weeks and months. But if they can just sit down for a little bit and go through this, this thought process of, okay, what's the identity that's been given to me? Who am I now? So how do I walk out this? What's on my heart? How do I walk out on this? And my prayer, and and I've seen it happen in other people's lives, my prayer had to change away from, dear God, can you fix this circumstance? Or can you change what's going on? Or change the hearts of people? To how do I, as your son, handle this situation? How do How would you handle this situation, God, as my father? Because I'm designed to operate like you. For some, that sounds like a big cliche, like, you know, what would Jesus do? It's not what would Jesus do. And I don't mean to, to harp negatively on that slogan, because, you know, I had, the, I had the bracelet when I was in high school, too. But for some reason, that never worked. 
Because, okay, great, I know what Jesus would do, but if if I'm being honest in those moments, Jesus didn't have to face what I had to face because it's 2,000 years later. There's different stuff. And so it might be for some people just splitting hairs on terminology, but I don't ask myself, what would Jesus do? I have a conversation with my father on what I should do. And that's not meant to be bringing Jesus out of the equation at all. Obviously, anyone who's listened to us talk or or knows our hearts knows that we're not bringing Jesus out of any conversation. But until things transition from, okay, what's God going to do to fix things, to what am I going to do right now with God as my Father by my side, then I have a feeling we're not going to see the change that we want to see in the world. We're not going to see the change we want to see in our culture. And not that we should be looking to culture as a sign that things are working, but for me, that's what's made all the difference. That's really good. That is a great picture. And we had brought up even earlier about dealing with cowardliness, and we talked about that a little bit. There's a verse in Revelation chapter 21, and it's 7 and 8. And I want you to listen to this, but don't don't listen to it from these actions are what's rejected. These mindset and beliefs are what is the con. This is what affects us, because even when we're talking about the Rocky clip, what's Rocky doing? Is he going to now go help him find a new job? Is he going to stop what he's doing so then his son would have more advantage? So if Rocky didn't go through it, would his son be more successful? Maybe temporarily. Maybe not. He still won't be fulfilled. So it really had nothing to do with who Rocky was. It was the belief system. He was believing cowardly. He was believing himself as a victim. He was believing himself uh, a certain way because he didn't trust the deeper things that his father had taught him over the years. He didn't learn from his father's ways. He was learning from his father's benefits or negative traits. That's how he was viewing it. And so I'm going to read this. This is... uh, This is Jesus talking, so this will give you another perspective of Jesus. You know, a lot of times people look at Jesus only from uh, the Gospels, but they don't recognize that he's the beginning and the end. So here's how he talks in Revelation chapter 7, verse 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's a, that's a pretty, um, (laughs) that's a pretty, it's comforting, just on the surface, that's a pretty, uh, questioning passage. But just look at it this way. Jesus said, who believes in me, John, because John wrote about this earlier. He said, he who believes in Jesus has the right to become a son. And that word right means the power, the authority, all of that. And he said, if you believe in him, you are an overcomer. So if you look at these two verses, this is about identity more than about actions. Can someone who's a confident person sometimes be cowardly? Yes, but they're not internally cowardly. They did a cowardly thing. Can someone do one of those actions but they're not that. They just did the action. 
And so we're separating action from who they are. And I thought it was interesting. We look at all of like the commandments. Oh, you're bad because you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. But look what's the first thing that's on that list. The cowardly. The cowardly was the first thing listed on mm. that. Those that are of a cowardly spirit. So think about our world today just for a moment. It is the most courageous thing in the world to truly believe in Jesus. Just that simple act is one of the most courageous things any human can do. Because you have to believe in something beyond your natural realm. That takes courage all by itself. And then you grow in that courage. You grow in that idea. So just simply believing in him is that place of overcoming. Because what are you overcoming? You're overcoming the surroundings of your world dictating your world, your life, into taking on what you really are in the face of all of those things. Because if you look at the breakdown of all of those pieces that he's talking about, the abominable, the liar, all of those are self-protective elements. The other is a selfless living from yourself that you no longer have to define yourself based on your actions, you just are. You being you, in our world today, you being a confident you, unmoved by everything else around you, makes you the biggest target. You are the target of our world. Oh, you're just arrogant. You're just too cocky. You're just, and all of a sudden, all these words, well, you're there because you got this, this, and this. Well, you're this because of this, this, and this. And if you don't say and appease and, and compliment and subject yourself to the world's view of you, you're the target. It is courageous to say my identity is in God. It's courageous to live from that identity. The same was true with Rocky and his son. He was saying, you live by the value that you are. You don't live by what the world is shaping around you because you'll become that. So just for anybody reading going, oh my, and you start doing the checklist, am I being more courageous or am I being less courageous? It has to do with your identity. What you ask yourself is, why do I think everything else is driving who I am? Why don't I see value, the same value that my father sees in me? Why am I not seeing it? Because you're measuring your value to what the world around you is saying, and that's creating the uh, cowardliness. That's creating all of these things from being who you really are. And being someone courageous does not mean that you all of a sudden are grandstanding. Just like you, I, I like that story of the guy eating the Wheaties, or the, I guess they're not Wheaties, but since you're talking about breakfast of champions, <laughs> so he's eating his Wheaties, and it's like, this is what I am, I don't care what they do. If I could share one more little uh, hyperbole, and then we can, if you'll wrap, if we could wrap up, but uh, we do like watching the old Biggest Loser uh, TV series, and um there's nothing about good motivation to keep you from getting fat. I'm just kidding. I'm not using worldly, worldly uh, 
ideas because that could be contradicting this whole entire podcast. But I do enjoy watching it and I enjoy what they do for the challenges. And there was this one challenge. It was right towards the end. It was in one of the very early seasons and it was right towards the end. And they had to put on this backpack with the same weight that they had lost. And so some people had lost 100 pounds, some people 60 pounds. So they had to put this backpack on with the same amount of weight. And it was all in quarters. So if you win the challenge, you get to keep all of that money. But it was also to see who could win. So this one guy had lost like 100 pounds, had the backpack on. And they had to climb six story, a six-story ladder to the top and hit the bell. And so the first one up would win the challenge. So he went and did it, flew up the thing, just drove himself up, got to the top and won. And when they got done, the the person said, there's a twist to the game. And she reiterated the rules. So she wasn't changing it. But what it was, you win by having the best time difference. So she didn't add that extra word difference. So now they all took the backpacks off and now they had to do it again. And it was the person who could beat their time the best would be the winner. Well, all of a sudden, the first, second, third, fourth place in the second round, when they did that, obviously the person that was a little bit weaker with the backpack was real slow. When they didn't have it on, they flew up. So the person who was in last place ended up winning the round and the whole round flipped. And this guy... You could just tell how angry it was because I was kind of mad. Like, you just have him go do sure. this race. Now you're taking the race from him. And they asked him, how do you feel about this? And he said, I never want to put that weight back on again. And the reason they did the challenge is because sometimes life is going to throw something at you. Now you're going to say, well, that wasn't fair. I won it. Are you going to quit and go put the weight back on? It was about mm. dealing with life when it all goes unfairly. When you, it goes complete, you've worked hard, and all of a sudden they change the rules on you, and now you're the loser when you were, you were the winner. So are all of a sudden you going to change? And the whole point was, are you going to go back to eating because things didn't go your way? Because guess what? Life is going to be unfair. It's going to be mean. It's going to be heartless. It's going to be unfair. And just when you think you're getting ahead, it's going to try to rip the, the ground out from underneath you. So how are you going to respond? Are you going to change who you are? Are you going to become mad? Are you going to become angry? Or are you going to say, you know what? I still won. I still have great value. I'm just going to keep moving forward. He ended up winning The Biggest Loser. But man, you could just tell he had this moment in his mind Am I going to be so ticked off that I think you guys are a bunch of cheats? Or am I just going to take? I still had victory. That is the idea of the winner. And they always come out ahead. And this is what Jesus was talking. That's why he said, you could turn the other cheek. You can, if they tell you to walk one mile, go two. If they make everything unfair, you can still win. Because it's about what you are and your value. That is being an overcomer. So I don't need to turn back to all those other things in order to justify, out of justification of how wrongly I was treated. And I'm telling you what, this mindset wins no matter what world you're in, no matter what environment you're in. And it's even people, there's groups that want to say, this group is so oppressed, it's so oppressed, and they probably are. Let's just give them that everything they're saying is true. 
but there is people within that group that are rising up and being strong, but they won't acknowledge them because it rips the narrative away that the environment creates that. Do we, do, should we keep all these environments around? No. But even if we made everything peaceful, happy, we'd still have huge problems because people don't know what they are and what they're worth. You would have to strip everyone from any value and any worth in order to truly equalize a fallen world. Maybe that's the perfect thought to end this on because I'll, I'll echo those thoughts, guys. You're never going to find yourself in a world that's not out to get you. You're never going to find yourself in a world that's fair and where things are, are done above the board and everything's just and everything's righteous. That world, we don't live in that right now. And so to, to focus all of our thoughts on, well, you know what? Things are going to be better when we can get rid of unfairness. There's, yeah, we should participate in making things fair when we can. Obviously, we're not idiots. But you don't ever create that world right now. It, so what I've decided to do personally is that no matter what is thrown at me, which inevitably will be thrown at me, I'm going to keep moving forward because I am an overcomer. I'm not going to wait for other people to treat me properly before I love them. I'm not going to wait for, um, for opportunity to come to me before I step forward in what I know I need to do. I'm not waiting for any of that because the world is quite literally at times out to get you. When you stand for what you believe in, when you say that you believe in Jesus, for one, there are people that are literally out to destroy you in our world. That exists. And if you want, you can hide from it and never expose yourself to it. But that's not who you are. You can blame other people for where you're at. You can blame the world. You can blame America for not being the country it used to be when it was founded. You can, you can do that. But to go back to our clip, that's what cowards do, and that's not you. And I really appreciate seeing that in you guys, the ones that, that listen and take this stuff to heart. Um, so we appreciate you guys listening uh, every week, every episode, sharing it and all of that. We appreciate the discussions we've had with you guys online and offline about all this stuff. And so we'll be back for another episode. But until then, you guys, I know the world's crazy, but stay in the fight.